He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I'm resting my entire eternal future on Jesus Christ and the historical testimony of the Word of God. In the last few weeks, I have been reviewing the apologetics, as it were, I have one more week to do it, of Scripture. In other words, the defense of the faith. Uh, re many, many reasonable people have come and gone. Many educated people have come and gone that believe the Word of God, that were skeptical and wanted to know, is the, is the Bible really what it says it is? Uh, if I'm going to put my whole life and my weight of my future on a book, is this book representative in 2017 of what was written back in the first century? The last book being written about 95 to 100 A.D. Is it right? Is it reasonable? Is it, is it something that is uh, historical in nature? Has, does it have testimony to it? And that's what we've been going over. The text we use is 2 Kings chapter 18. If you'll take your Bibles to that, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. I'll give you a little background just after I do this. We received from our Gospel Track ministry here at Gospel Baptist Church, which started, by the way, I started passing Gospel Tracks out when I was 18 years old, 19 years old. My wife, which was my girlfriend at that time, I gave her a Jack T. Chick was the guy's name. He was a billboard painter. Years ago, they did not have the ability to print billboards. I know that uh, that may be Abdel strange to you, but they didn't used to be able to print billboards. They actually had to paint billboards, and so that's why nobody ever wanted their picture on a billboard because it never came out right. And so they couldn't do a ph photograph, as it were. Well, Jack T. Chick was uh, very talented in that, and he started making cartoon type gospel tracks. The first one he did was This Was Your Life. That was based around kind of a TV show. Remember, How many remember watching This Was Your Life? Man, you're old people. But uh, anyway, we, uh, she read that. I gave her that, and I gave her another one called The Beast, which is still out. And still, I just read it again the other day. And she eventually trusted Christ as her personal Savior, and uh, we were married. And so the Gospel Track Ministry, I am an absolute believer in the power of the written Word of God. Not just the living Word of God, which is Jesus Christ, but I also not, just, not only believe in the spoken Word of God, but I believe in the written Word of God. It makes sense that if God thought it was good enough to put as His instructions in a book so we could read it, it would make sense to put it in print and pass it out to as many people as you could. And that's what we do here on Sunday night. We have a little track count, and I hope you're doing that for this Christmas season. Well, we received a lot of feedback uh, from that ministry, and this is, a, this is one I need to read. Uh, Raphael Jagger. Raphael Jagger wrote us. He said, hello, I just wanted to thank you for the great work you are doing. I am from Austria and was traveling around Florida this year in February. When shopping at Walmart, I found this card in a pair of Dickies shorts. 
I took it and have it in my wallet since that day. It often reminds me of the importance of having Jesus in my life. Thank you. God bless your church. Best regards from Salzburg, Austria. You never know. You never know where the word of God will go. When you put that little gospel track somewhere, you never know what's going to happen, where it's going to go. Have faith, my brothers, my sisters, and pass those things out everywhere you can. And they'll fall where God wants them to fall. He's big enough. I always figure if he knows a sparrow that falls, and not one sparrow falls without his notice, and even bigger than this, he knows how many hairs you have on your head today. And for ladies, that's changing dramatically every day. How I know that is go into any woman's bathroom and you'll find half of her hair on the floor. I know it's an exaggeration, but I wanted to wake you up. Now, if it gets warm in here and you find yourself wanting to go to sleep, I want you to slap yourself. Or, okay, slap your husband or slap your wife. No, somebody turn the air one degree below ambient temperature, Brother Charlie. One degree below ambient temperature. One, nobody's responding on this side at all. Nobody's responding on this. Ooh, Wendy Stone, she's all over it. One degree beyond. beyond. Now, that's not going to freeze you out because it's already cold. You don't have to. It's going to be, it does get warm in here because the air will not turn on for the next 30 minutes. Because it's cold outside and it senses it and it won't do it. So I don't want you to get comfortable. I want you to be uncomfortable. Some of you people got a deal like one of them dolls. Remember them dolls they used to have when you laid them down their eyes closed? Well, some of you, when you sit up, boom, yeah, it's over. <laughs> Scary. Scary. In 2 Kings, we have the uh, account of a man by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked, 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 wicked man. He was his dad. His parents were wicked parents. Everything wicked you could imagine, Ahaz did it. In fact, he was so bad, he was the worst guy ever had come up to that moment. And out of that wicked environment, wicked circumstances, rose up a young man who had a heart for God. His name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah? At 25 years old, became king over Israel, over Judah, the last two tribes, excuse me, the southern tribes. And uh, he, he loved God. Man, he loved God and he meant it. He, he got rid of a lot of the junk that the liberals had brought in. He began to drain the swamp. That's, it's just, just putting it in today's terminology. He began to drain the swamp in southern, the two southern tribes of Israel. The ten northern tribes were so wicked, God brought in a great nation named the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in, and in, in the uh, 20, uh, at 29 years old, at least in, in uh, Hezekiah's time, 29 years old, Assyria came in and destroyed the ten northern tribes, took all their cities, took all their people, transported them back to Assyria and replace them with their own people. Uh, that surely got his attention. Um, and so when he was 29 years old, Samaria fell. At 31 years old, Assyria came, 
came uh, up eventually finally conquering everything in Judah except for the city of Jerusalem. At 39 years old, and when he became 39, Rabshakeh showed up and challenged him. He paid Assyria, took the money. The Bible says he, he went in and he took the gold off all the temple area, he even took it off the stone and everything, and paid, hopefully keeping Assyria away from him. And, but it, it, did, it did just temporarily. But in the meantime, Rabshakeh, which was a, the representative, the PR guy, for Assyria, guy up against the wall. And you can read the passage, chapter 18, 19, and he challenged them greatly. He told them, you're not going to survive no more than any of these other nations have survived. And in fact, he said, your God, which, by the way, Hezekiah has torn down all his idols and everything, uh, uh, your God, which was wrong, by the way, but he says, your God is the one that told us to come up against you to judge you for your wickedness. Wow, they were upset. Hezekiah tore his clothes before God and got before him, and God says, no, he's not going to set a foot in this city. He's not going to conquer you. I'm going to put a hook in his nose and take him back to his own land, and praise God, God saved them, as if we're going to be saved in the United States, God will have to save us. But if his people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek his face, he'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's still true today. It was true back in his day when evil came up against them, and it's true in our day when evil comes up against us. Uh, oh, God can save us. No matter how dark and dreary and dim the future may look, God can come and give you a little respite, a little moment of revival little nail hole, as it were, to hang upon. Well, there's a phrase there in verse 19 that I picked up on. It says where this Rebshekah guy was trying to destroy them psychologically. He says, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Well, two weeks ago I told you briefly about the document trail of the Bible, which is impeccable. The reliability and document trail by any reasonable man looking at it, the document trail on this book is impeccable. I showed you last week that the prophecies of this book, which are not found in any other holy book anywhere in the world, the little bit the Koran has is a joke compared to what you find in this book. 30% of this book is prophetic. 50% of that 30% has already been fulfilled exactly as it was foretold. And it, it would make sense if God for, fulfilled 50% of his prophecy exactly, I'm talking about minutely as it was spoken, thousands of years before it was spoken, if he had the ability to fulfill that and indeed did fulfill it the way he said it should be fulfilled, you think he can do the other half the same way? Amen? He can and he will. So we saw the document trail is impeccable. We saw prophecies of Scripture are simply undeniable. Today I want to spend the rest of the time here and show you that the resurrection is irrefutable. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is irrefutable. We see Rabshakeh's question. Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and More Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and More Than a Carpenter, and some other books, you ought to read them all. He says the resurrection of Jesus 
Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. They asked Professor Josh McDowell, who was at one time a skeptic and sought to disprove once and for all the reliability of Scripture and this thing called the resurrection, which he knew could not possibly happen. In his, in his work to prove it false, he, be, he got saved. He just got convinced it's so. It really is real. They asked him, why, Professor McDowell, can't you refute Christianity? And he answered, for a very simple reason, I am not able to explain away the, an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How important is a resurrection to Christianity? Well, without the resurrection, truthfully, folks, there's no Christianity. The resurrection is the cornerstone of all of the claims and teachings of Jesus Christ. The resurrection validates what Jesus said. If he didn't indeed was not resurrected, then what he said was not so. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, uh, Paul says, Who had delivered us, who had delivered for who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, because they have appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained thereof, he hath given assurance unto all men, how has he done that? In that he hath raised him from the dead. It was the subject of Peter's first sermon in Acts 2.32 where he said, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Now, it is, it, is, it is a safe assumption that those closest to the event had the keenest understanding and knowledge of it, right? Those close, how close was Peter to the event? Our hands have handled. We've touched. He ate with him. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus communed with his disciples. And he said he was raised from the dead. In Acts chapter 3, verse 15, it was, a, it was a subject of Peter's second sermon. He said, you've killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. When he said we, there was over 120 people in the upper room. It was Jesus teaching to his disciples ahead of time. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Jesus, it was not a, should not have been a surprise to his disciples or those around him that there was a resurrection coming. He said, it's coming. I'm going to be delivered. Now, they didn't like it. Peter said, don't do it. And he said, get behind me, Satan. He says, you do not understand the things of God. It was Paul's main subject in his preaching at Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, verse 29 through 31, he says, And when, the, when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them that came, uh, uh, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. Uh, Jesus did not do this in a corner. 
after the resurrection, he did not just disappear, never to be seen of again. It says in Romans chapter 9, verse 10, verse 9, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and what? Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you're in this room today and you do not believe honestly that Jesus Christ has been physically and visibly resurrected from the dead, you cannot honestly be a Christian. It is the very foundation of what it means to be a Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, it says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Is that clear enough? Amen? Paul's words to the Corinthian church. Because Christ was raised from the dead, we shall be raised also. If Christ indeed predicted his resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection, and it was fulfilled, and he testified to those around him it was, and they saw him, and they communed with him, and they were willing to lay their lives down for him, that gives me some assurance. At 2015, I'm a long way from the event. So were you. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. In other words, Paul's reasoning is said he raised him up, the, the God and the Father and, and Jesus was raised from the dead, consequently we can be raised from the dead. Otherwise, we have a vain hope. All of the four worlds, uh, all of the, let me say this, get this right, all but the four of the world's major religions are based on a philosophical proposition. Of those of the four of the religions of the world, based on personalities uh, rather than the philosophical system, only Christianity claims an empty tomb. Of all of them, I've preached on, on Bonita Beach time and time again on Easter, uh, and I get I get to get up there and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Really, what other subject is there? Because to an unsaved person, that's a hurdle they must overcome. They must understand it to be true. Of course we understand the Holy Spirit gives you enlightenment. Of course we understand the Holy Spirit will come by and help you understand it and, and, and believe it. But it must take your will to say yes. And I think it's reasonable. Michael Green in his book, Man Alive, states Christianity is a historical religion. It claims that God has taken the risk of involving himself in human history. And the facts are there for you to examine with the utmost rigor. They will stand, listen to what this guy said, they will stand any amount of critical investigation. We as Christians are not afraid of skeptics uh, coming and attacking what we believe. We're not afraid of them finding something that will somehow refute all the 2,000 years of believers have believed and those right around the event. We're not afraid of that. We have not been afraid and we are not afraid and I suspect we will not be afraid for those in the future. The historicity of the resurrection record is impeccable. The resurrection was recorded by eye 
witnesses I mentioned above. Now look, in our court of law, if you have two eyewitnesses of an event, it has been done and possibly continues to be done. If you have two eyewitnesses of, some, of a murder, you literally can send someone to the electric chair. At least baby used to be able to be the electric chair. Old Sparky up there in Stark, Florida. Or you, you do it by now some sort of an injection method or used to be before that hanging until dead. And before that was they would uh, cut your head off. Or before that they would crucify you. But some way or another, two witnesses can put you to death. Now folks, if two witnesses have the credibility of putting someone to death, how much credibility do 500 people have? A lot. A lot. The 12 disciples... Luke, Mark, Paul, and over 500 witnesses, they witnessed the resurrection. Take your Bibles, if you would, because you need to know. If you don't know, you sure need to know where this is at. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. 15, 3, and 4 are called the uh, gospel kind of in a nutshell. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 4. In fact, Chris Barrows is going to get up here and quote that if he hasn't already because that's one of his verses he's got to do. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ was what? And then what? And then what? Rose again the third day, right? According to what? The scriptures. What is it saying? The scriptures predicted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He predicted the, his resurrection, and it happened. And we attest to that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, these people and the Corinthians, he's telling them it happened. And he was seen of Cephas, as Peter, and of the twelve. And after that, in verse 6 there, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, at one time, of whom the greater part remain of this day. And that means they're still alive, but some of them have died or fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last, of all, he was seen of me also, that's Paul speaking, also one born out of due season. He said, we've got all of, we didn't make this thing up. There's a point, a couple points I want to pause and make with you here this morning. First of all, why would someone make up a story like this? Why would they do it? If they did, those around the event would immediately attest to the error and the inaccuracy of the story. You're not going to be able, if Bill Lytell dies, no. When Bill, well, I may be raptured. I'm looking for the uppertaker, not the undertaker, but let's say I die. And, and Brother Barrow said, no, no, I saw Bill the other day. He's still, they say it about Elvis. Nobody believes it. In other words, the people around would say, no, he's still dead. We haven't seen him. And if it got real heated, they'd go dig me up. Pull my gold teeth out. Another point to make is Jesus, by stating that he would rise from the dead, put on the line all his character and credibility. If he did not rise, his closest followers, the disciples and such, would abandon his teachings 
as an egotistical claims of a madman. Does that make sense to you? In other words, Jesus put on the line. I mean, he risked everything he taught by saying that he was going to be resurrected from the dead to his closest followers. Because had that not happened, guess what? They would have said, he, didn't, he wasn't resurrected. Notice how sad the disciples were right after the crucifixion. You notice how sad they seemed to be. They were all moping around in the room. Something happened to them after they saw Jesus, didn't they? They were a bunch of cowards, though, huddling down, worrying about what the Jews were going to do to them until they saw Jesus. And that resurrection transformed those people to to people that were willing to die, and in fact, most of them did die. If you look back at the disciples, uh, all of them died, I believe, except for Thomas. Uh, they believe Thomas was not martyred, but possibly even martyred over in India. They don't know about that for sure, but those men went from being huddled in a room, letting, letting the women be brave, and they, were, they, were, they didn't even believe the women when they saw them. Oh, you girls. They went from that to going out in front of the Jewish crowd, which, which had just crucified Jesus, and telling them, you crucified this man. You crucified the Messiah who was to come. You crucified Jesus, the Prince of Life. They were bold as a lion. What gave them that boldness? What would give you that boldness? If you were them, what would give you that boldness? Seeing Jesus. Resurrected, brother. After you saw Jesus, that he conquered death, death has no more fear for you. Death has no more power over you. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, you know if they kill you, ah, all you do is leave the body, and he's going to resurrect you, and you have the resurrection and eternal life, and there's credibility with what he said. Wow. The early church fathers which were much closer than we are to the resurrection, testified of its historicity and testimony by testimonial fact. Ignatius lived from 50 A.D. to 115 A.D. He was a, he was a pupil of John the Apostle. He testified to it. Justin Martyr, which lived from 100 A.D. to 165 A.D., a philosopher and an eager seeker of truth, attested to the resurrection of Jesus Christ being true. Tertullian, which lived from 160 to 220 A.D. Uh, from Car Carthage, North Africa, attested to it. Josephus, a historian, famous. His books are still read today. Josephus, a historian at the end of the first century, attested to the resurrection and its historicity and truthfulness. In Luke chapter 1, verse 3, it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. How? By many infallible proofs. Now, you wouldn't say that if you weren't convinced that that was the way it was. Or you'd be proven a liar. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In other words, in the 40 days after the resurrection, he met with his disciples. He talked to them about the coming kingdom. You know, woo, doggies, things are looking up. Luke is therefore a contemporary and firsthand witness to the events he speaks of. 
He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. The early church knew its own history. The fact that they accepted the gospel of Luke into the family of documents by the way they did. Uh, the, and his, his uh, view and a recording of Jesus Christ's life proves that they believed what was in the book of Luke was true and honestly a representation of what happened. Amen. The resurrection was published and questioned as to its historical accuracy, however. Professor Thomas Arnold, author of the famous three-volume book, History of Rome, you'll not be seeing me read that anytime soon, and appointed to the chair of modern history at Oxford was a man certainly acquainted with the value of evidence in to determine historical facts. In other words, he's somewhat of an intellectual skeptic. He says this, thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece. That's the resurrection and evidence around it. As carefully as every judge summoning up, summing up on a most important cause. He says, and I quote, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better or fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Wow. Bernard Ram says this about those who do not believe the resurrection. He said, unbelief has to deny all the testimony of, the of our forefathers. It must assume that these men either did not have the motivation or historical standards to really investigate the resurrection of Christ. Though this same group will accept, the same group that is skeptic about the resurrection, you know, skeptical and says all those people were wrong, they will gladly and with joy accept the historicity of other things which have much less attested and much less validated historical events, their unbelief and obvious bias against supernatural will not allow them to accept the resurrection account as a historical fact. Why? They just can't stand the supernatural. I said this over and over in the pulpit on a radio show years and years ago with a Jewish rabbi. He and I got going back and forth. There was an eight-second delay on it. There wasn't much. It was live with an eight-second delay. And he started questioning me about everything in the Old Testament, everything. Do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Do you believe that Noah had a worldwide flood? He just went through the miracles of the Old Testament. At the end of it, I said, well, it's very obvious to me that you do not believe in the supernatural. It's a willful act, not according to a spirit of fair inquiry. They just don't want to believe it. Throw what evidence you want to throw out there. But they'll believe other works with much less evidence. Why? Because they don't involve some sort of supernatural thing. And they'll accept it. Wow. Wow. One of the arguments that has been put forth on the validity of the resurrection 
has been, as I mentioned before, the transformed lives of the apostles. John Stott says, perhaps the transforming of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all of the resurrection. Think of the psychological absurdity, he says, and I'm quoting, of picturing a little band of the defeated cowards cowering in the upper room one day and a few days later transforming the company of no that no amount of persecution would silence them, then attempting to attribute this change to a fabrication that made up, made them as the fool of the world. I, I don't I think that I think the disciples and those that gave their lives for the testimony of Christ, they had some solid rock reasons why they believed. What about the 1900 years of folks who were willing to be martyred for the sake of Christ? What about them? All of them having a deep sense that the resurrection was true. How about you? How about you here this morning? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was physically, visibly, honestly resurrected from the dead? Or do you believe in some sort of a swoon theory? That the liberals and disbelievers and anti-supernatural people bring, try to bring up? Oh, that he really didn't die on the cross. Well, when they put that, when the rule, everybody knows this to be historically true, the Roman soldier had a, had a rule that if, if the people came off the cross alive, then the punishment for allowing that to happen was that they were put on those crosses till they were dead. I don't know about you, but if I was a Roman soldier, I would make sure whoever I crucified died. How about you? Even to the point of breaking the legs of those people and making sure they did. Now, I don't know about you. I've thought, have you ever thought much about breaking legs? Charlie, you ever thought about breaking those legs, those guys? You have the bone in a guy's shin is a tough bone. That's a tough bone, thick, tough bone. They're hanging on those crosses and fairly high. They had to take some sort of a club, let's say like a baseball bat, and they had to whack that guy hard enough to smash that bone one leg at a time to where they could no more, hang, no more lift themselves up to breathe and that they would hang with their body weight and so that they would eventually, by the way, not right away, but would eventually suffocate trying to catch their breath, but their body pushing in on their lungs would cause them to suffocate with the broken, possibly protruding bones of their leg. I don't know about you, when I get kicked in the shins, it almost makes me want to cry. Once in a while, I threaten Barrows kicking him in the shins. One of these days, I'm going to do it. But I mean, I'm telling you what? I can't imagine somebody coming up with a baseball bat. Why'd they do that? They were cruel. They didn't want to be crucified. I think people that are professional executioners, that's all they do, they're professional executioners. You know, I laid floor covering for 17 years. The absurdity of, of, of people questioning their ability to kill somebody is like, is like Nick trying to tell me how to lay carpet. I mean, you never, let's say you've never laid carpet, you try to tell me how to lay carpet, I'm like, you talking to me. I mean, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about Roman soldiers here. All they did was they were training how to kill somebody. When they took that sword and they pierced him, and the Bible says water and blood came out, and medically you can go into all that and how that's normal when you die that way, you have congestive heart. My brother Louis, just they drained one liter of fluid off of his heart sack recently. Then they did it again two weeks later. 
your heart, when it begins to fail, builds up water around the sack. And Christ's heart was obviously at the point of failure. And when they put that old sword in his heart, yes, blood came out, but the water around the heart, the sack came also out. They knew he was dead. They knew where the heart was. Just like I'm an old hunter. I know where to shoot an animal. Trust me, an animal I shoot is not going to walk away. I'm going to place that bullet right behind the ear here. And they're not walking away. I'm, not, I'm too old to chase deer anymore. And them soldiers were old enough and experienced enough in what they were doing when they put that sword in him. Brother, they killed Jesus. He died. He died. Don't feel alone and ignorant for believing in the resurrection this morning. Millions and millions of reasonable, educated, scholarly, distinguished, reasonable people have accepted it as fact through the centuries. Not just you. In fact, they accepted it as a fact. You're going to love this. I saved the best for last. They accepted it so much of a fact that they changed the day that they worshipped from the traditional sixth, uh, you know, Saturday, which was sixth, the seventh day, to the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, who were these people? Well, the most people who got saved at the beginning were Jews. The Jewish people were dominant in the first 10 years, first 20 years. They were the dominant converts. Why? They had background. They had Bible background. They had the prophecies of the Messiah that was to come. It makes sense that he would preach to them. They would accept it. Your Messiah has come. We saw him. He is resurrected. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's come and given you, he's presented salvation by grace through faith. Woo! They got saved by the droves. The Gentiles, you got to start, man, you got to go back for a Gentile. You don't start there. You go way back with Gentiles. Uh, I want to present to you the God that you got, you got a, uh, you got something uh, uh, over here at Athens for this unknown God. Let me introduce to you the unknown God, the one that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fish and the birds and everything. they got to go way back and start with the heathen because they have no contact with the, with the true living God. They start with them way back here at the creation and have to work them up to the, the Messiah coming to eventually die for them and, and, and go through that whole process. It takes them much, so much harder to do. So early converts were Jews. And it was the Jews that agreed and put their hand to the moving of the worship day from the seventh day to the first day, which is the recognized historically from day one, the day of the resurrection. We are worshiping on Sunday today, 2017 Sunday. What are we celebrating today? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So serious, so powerful is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the early church changed their main day of worship to the first day of the week, the day that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. 
in celebration of that event. They worshiped, and we still do it. I think that's big, man. That's big. Simon Greenleaf, a famous Harvard professor of law, in his book called The Testimony of Evangelicals. And I quote, he says this, All that Christianity asks of men is that they would be consistent with themselves, that they would treat its evidences as they treat the evidences of other things, that they would try to judge its actors and witnesses as they deal with their fellow men when testifying to human affairs and actions in their tribunals. Confucius' tomb is occupied this morning. Buddha's tomb is occupied this morning. Muhammad's tomb is occupied this morning. Jesus' tomb is empty. So important, so important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you understanding it to be so. That God, the Father, said, if you don't believe my son was resurrected, you are still in your sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And your faith is worthless. It's vain. It's worthless. I hope you can sit there and say, with a positive honesty that's real, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At 18 years old, I made it real, real clear in my mind, in my heart, that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My wife did too. How long ago is that? I don't know. I forgot. That's been a long time ago. I believe more today, if I may say, after more examination, after more inquiry, not looking with the conclusion already in mind, but looking to find out what is the real deal. Because folks, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, I want to know it. I don't want to give my whole life and at the end of this thing go, he wasn't really raised from the dead. Oh. But he was. Interesting, of all the religions in the world, Christianity is the only one with the resurrected Messiah. Why don't you trust him today? He will not disappoint you. Father, help us this morning. May the Spirit of God come and do that which I could not do. Father, may these folks in here answer the question of Rebsheki so many years ago outside the wall of Jerusalem. What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? May we understand we have a confidence. Father, we pray that there be some in this room that may be weighing this question, and this may be on your mind. We as Christians welcome investigation. We welcome honest, fair investigation of what we say we believe. We, 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 we welcome you.
to look at the document trail of the thing we call our Bible. We welcome you to look at the validity of the prophecies of scriptures and how they were fulfilled. We welcome you to examine the physical, visible, literal resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We welcome you to look at that. We're not afraid of it. But once you do that, if you find those things as we found them, we also challenge you to be saved. To simply bow your head and say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you were. I believe you're a living Savior in the world today. I know that you're living, no matter what men may say. I see your hand of mercy. I hear your voice of cheer. And just the time I need you, you're always there. Father, come today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's if you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.